Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and that music is so happy. That makes me happy. I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for joining me. We've got Rob Bluey coming up in just a minute. Then Beverly Canaris is going to join me. We're going to talk about lamenting prayer, and then hour two is Ask the Professor, and I got the best, Dr. Mark Muska. So all you have to do is get your questions ready and send them over anytime you like. You can just send them via text to 877-933-2484. I encourage you to ask the hard ones, too. I love to see him sweat because he always comes into the studio. And I'd love to see him a little in the hot seat. So get your questions over, 877-933-2484. Rob Louie is the executive editor at The Daily Signal and a regular guest, and I always uh, enjoy talking to Rob every Tuesday. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be back with you today. Thank you. There's so much going on. I feel like I say that every time we talk, but it's true. It sure is. There's yeah. the the news never stops, and uh, certainly in a town like Washington D.C., there's always plenty of activity, never a break. <laughs> yeah, and I know you watch a lot of TV all day, but I I know you've probably been watching the nomination hearings today. Yeah, you know, for the first time in in several weeks, it seems there was something other than uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, which the TV networks were focused on, and this is obviously a monumental decision on the part of President Biden and the United States Senate. Uh, Presidents can leave a lasting legacy by appointing judges to the U.S. Supreme Court. And as we know with President Trump, he had three nominations in just four years. Uh, This is President Biden's first, and it uh, very well could be his only, given the age and and decisions that uh, the other justices may decide to make. So uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson is uh, facing a grilling on Capitol Hill. Uh, No surprise there. Republicans are asking her some tough questions. Democrats Democrats are going a little bit more leniently, but uh, but certainly interesting to watch, Bill. Yeah. What has been your take so far? Well, I mean, she's very polished, uh, as I think you would expect anybody who's who's up for a nomination on the Supreme Court. Uh, She has reportedly been practicing late into the evenings. Uh, This was a really quick pace that the Senate uh, decided to take. Uh, they uh, the, the nomination came down, of course, less than a month ago at the end of February. So uh, President Biden is eager to fill the seat, even though Justice Breyer has said he's going to stay on the court until the term is over at the end of June. So, I mean, she could very well be confirmed and just have to wait uh, for, for what seems like a couple of months now. Um, if uh, if the schedule keeps. But Republicans have other plans. Um, they unearthed uh, some information last week that suggested that she has a concerning record on crime and immigration and uh, on other issues where they are trying to expose uh, some of her, her views and perspectives that are out of the mainstream. And uh, that has been where they have focused their questioning today. Uh, they've said that as a district court judge, she sentenced child sex offenders uh, to sentences below the recommended guidelines. And uh, she argued that uh, child sex offenders were actually treated too harshly. Now, she's tried to forcefully refute uh, some of these these charges against her, saying that, uh, you know, she still has nightmares from from some of the cases that she was overseeing and that uh, that Republicans were taking her decisions out of context. So uh, I don't know that it's going to move any Democrats. Of course, remember, the Democrats uh, have, by the virtue of the tiebreaker with the vice president, a uh, uh, the 51 to 50 
uh, majority if they if uh, if all Republicans vote uh, against the nominee. So uh, they'll have to some work to do, Republicans, if they want to uh, to to pull peel off one Democrat to defeat her nomination. Mm-hmm. And the nomination hearings, how long do they last? Uh, they'll go on uh, throughout the week. Uh, they're, uh, they're right now about 50% done in terms of the questioning. Um, last I saw, there were, uh, Republican Senator Ben Sass was was on the docket. So um, so they're about halfway done with the questioning. That will continue tomorrow. And, uh, and then there will be a wrap-up on Thursday. Uh, it's unclear uh, how quickly the, the Senate Judiciary Committee will take a vote, uh, probably not next week, but maybe maybe the week after. And, of course, it will have to come to the, the full Senate floor. Uh, the Senate does have the role of advice and consent, um, so that is an important responsibility that they make. Now, important for your listeners to know, Bill, of all of President Biden's nominees so far, not a single uh, judicial nominees, that is, not a single Democrat uh, has voted against one. So uh, it would take a lot, I think, to move Joe mm-hmm. Manchin or Kirsten Cinema, but uh, you never know what kind of bombshell might come out in these confirmation hearings, and certainly we've seen that before. Uh, look no further than Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing, what he had to endure uh, during that experience. Mm-hmm. Let's go to what also is in the news constantly, which is what's going on in U- Ukraine and Russia and China. Maybe there's an update there for us. Yes, uh, certainly, Bill. Well, it's uh, it, it appears that we're you know we're getting to the point where things are becoming uh, what I would describe as a stalemate. Uh, R- Russians continue to attack civilians. Uh, they are uh, trying to take ground in in both the south. Uh, they they seem to be stuck outside of uh, Kiev, and uh, they there must be frustration on the part of the Russians that this did not go as quickly as they certainly anticipated. So. I would say, Bill, that you know one of the things that we need to be mindful of and, and, and watch now is, is whether or not uh, Russia resorts to, to more desperate tactics. And I think that for all of the loss of life and people who've been injured and wounded during this war already, uh, you know, that is, that's just going to be horrifying for, for the people of, of Ukraine. And so our, our prayers continue uh, to go out mm-hmm. to them. Uh, they're trying to, to fight for their freedom and independence. Uh, Putin, though, I think, uh, takes the long view. And uh, even uh, in, in the wake of maybe some setbacks uh, that his military is, is finding itself in now, uh, you know, they will be in a situation where they will continue to press forward. And, uh, and one of the things that's most dangerous about that is he does have these uh, thousands of nuclear weapons. And uh, when you have a, a, a tyrannical leader like he is, uh, you know, you have to be careful. And that's one of the reasons why the United States has been cautious and not engaged in things like a no-fly zone and, uh, and been tempered in some of its response. Rob, this guy is clearly, uh, you know, will do the next desperate thing if he starts to feel like he's losing. I can only imagine what's going on internally in Russia between him and his generals and his military leaders, but not be pleasant. Right. Well, exactly. Um, and I think part, so part of the reason why they've had difficulty is this is a, this is a, just the t- time of year when it's, uh, Ukraine did not have a, a freeze this year. So that, so the, the ground is very, very swampy, muddy. And uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why I think the Russians have been having trouble moving their, their tanks and, and other uh, military equipment. Uh, so they're they're facing some logistical issues, but I also think one of the things that they're facing is a really sustained resistance on the part of Ukrainians. Maybe Putin felt that uh, because Ukrainians were once part of the Soviet Union that they would welcome the Russians with open arms. Uh, that's certainly not been the case for Ukrainian Ukraine's president uh, Zelensky, and for many of the people who who I think fear what living under Russian rule would mean. 
the fact that Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, has decided to stay and not flee the country, I think, sent a signal that uh, of courage and, uh, and and a willingness to fight. And that has, uh, in part, I think, motivated many Ukrainians to take up arms and do the same. Mm-hmm. And the president is headed to Brussels. Is it this week? Yes, he's going to Belgium and Poland this week. Uh, no plans to to go to Ukraine, but obviously he will be uh, in the neighborhood, so to speak. And uh, and I think that uh, you know, obviously, uh, President Biden uh, has come under criticism for maybe doing uh, too little, too late. Uh, of course, there was the big announcement last week. Uh, about the, the, the new uh, support that the United States in the form of $800 billion was going to provide. And, uh, and you know, that can uh, do some good in terms of the anti-aircraft missiles and, and some of the other supplies that the Ukrainians need. Um, but the questions, you know, pop up as to why we didn't take some of these actions earlier, uh, maybe to, uh, to dissuade Russia from ever invading in the first place. And uh, let's not let, let you know your listeners should know from from their own uh, viewing of what's going on on TV and some of those maps that you see of Ukraine. Russia has captured certain portions, and and for instance, you know, the, in the last twenty four hours, they were shelling Mariupol um, from sea, and uh, it was um, you know a new development that really was was doing you know pretty devastating damage to that city. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got some interesting new news about the the Hunter Biden. Uh, laptop, which 17 months, a little bit late, but uh, what is your take on the media bias regarding that? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, talk about a case of uh, media malpractice, Bill. This was, uh, this was certainly one that's, uh, you know, right at the top of the list. Uh, it, for, for a long time, I, I have, have thought that when it comes to anything associated with President Trump, you you saw the worst of the media come out. Uh, this came with the Russia collusion hoax, which you know many media outlets later had to retract and apologize for their behavior. Some still haven't. Uh, but when it came to Hunter Biden and this this controversy that emerged just weeks before the presidential election in in 2020, uh, what you had was the New York Post break news, a legitimate news story, and then social media platforms deliberately censoring or suppressing that story. Uh, from reaching the American people. In fact, polling that was done after the election found that if the American people knew more about that story, it may have changed their vote enough that Donald Trump would be our president today. And Mm -hmm. so it just goes to show the effect that our media and big tech can have in terms of our consumption habits. So uh, the reason it's in the news now is that the New York Times admits the story was real. Uh, Of course, uh, it took a long time for the New York Times to, to get to this point. Um, but, you know, I feel like we need to hold them accountable for this. Uh, there is um, uh, different ways that we can do that. Uh, certainly, if you're a subscriber to The New York Times, you have a financial stake in it, uh, let them know. Um, and, and, and make sure that you're also supporting other news outlets that perhaps aren't so biased and, uh, and do a better job of reporting the news. Mm-hmm. So it's frustrating, Bill, that, uh, that here we are so long. And it seems like it's one of those things where, uh, you know, to, to make a simple analogy out of it, uh, a, a news organization reports something uh, and it's it's gro- grossly in error, but by the time that they correct it, uh, it's too late. The American people have already formed their opinion and their narrative, and the correction never has the same effect uh, months later or even weeks later than the original news story did. And I think that's exactly what, what has happened here with the Hunter Biden situation. Uh, but hopefully we'll get more We'll, we'll now be able to learn more on it since uh, since the, the New York Times and other outlets seem willing to acknowledge that this is a real story. Mm-hmm. Rob, question came in. Can Rob explain court packing? 
Oh, absolutely. Sure. Well, court packing is an issue where uh, if you probably from from those of us who remember our history classes, remember when FDR was in the White House, not getting his way because the U.S. Supreme Court at the time was striking down some of his New Deal policies. And he didn't like the fact that the judicial branch was uh, siding uh, on a, taking a different stance uh, than his own. And so he suggested that, that he add members to the U.S. Supreme Court who would be more favorable to his uh, political prerogatives and his uh, his agenda. And the Democrats have suggested that that is a situation that they may explore in the future. In fact, some of them were so successful, they lobbied uh, President Biden to put together a commission that was go- that studied this issue and has issued its report. And so I think what's concerning about it, though, well, whereas you know there is no set rule that the Supreme Court needs to stay at nine justices, uh, that is historically where it has been. Mm-hmm. And by court packing, you would essentially have the president come out and say, tomorrow that he's nominating three new justices to the Supreme Court. And if a Democrat-controlled Senate who shares his party affiliation agrees with him, then they would push them through. I think we're still at a point where there are so many people who respect the the founders' vision and the fact that there should be a a separation between the, the branches of government, that that wouldn't happen given the current composition of the Senate. But if it shifts, you know, in one way or the other, I think that it's always something to be mindful of and be wary of. And it's why we need to have this balance of power in our country. And that's just off the top of your head. That's Rob Louie for you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll take a little break. When we come back, if you have a question for Rob, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Rob Louie is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can head to dailysignal.com. executive editor at the Daily Signal, and uh, another comment came in, Rob, about Dr. Rand Paul. It's written that uh, Voldemort Zelensky is banning opposing media opinions. Is that kind of not exactly his words, but something similar to it? Is that, what do you think of that? Yes. Well, thank you for raising that question. Uh, that is that there, there is some controversy associated with uh, what Zelensky is doing uh, in terms of political parties in that country and also uh, the media outlets. And um, if I understand correctly, uh, there's a couple of things that, uh, that have popped up in, 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 in the course of uh, Ukraine's declaration of martial law. Uh, Zelensky has suspended 11 different political parties uh, due to their ties with Russia. Um, he has uh, has taken this action uh, again using martial law, and uh, frankly, it's it's a matter that I think um, uh, needs to be discussed and debated by by Ukraine. I know that we have obviously a, a different outlook uh, in our in our own country, and that seems uh, probably extreme. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know the details well enough uh, for for your listener. But when it comes to the news media, um, I can tell you this: uh, there were uh, opposition TV stations that Zelensky closed. Uh, there were three of them that I know of, and they were accused of broadcasting Russian propaganda. Mm. And so they were owned by somebody who has a close connection to Vladimir Putin. And uh, basically, uh, you know, they, Zelensky took, took the action, I think, you know, because he, he would perceive it as, 
as broadcasting information that uh, that he prefer not to get out there. So uh, ob- again, uh, Ukraine is is does not have the same uh, constitution or the same uh, view of freedom that I think uh, we do in this country. And remember, for just up until thirty years ago, it was part of the the Soviet bloc. Uh, we uh, publish an annual. A report uh, called the Index of Economic Freedom. Uh, Ukraine uh, has several, cor- you know, a lot of corruption issues uh, that it still needs to work on. I think the positive thing, Bill, is that it tends to be moving in the right direction, or at least it was moving in the right direction ahead of uh, what's going on in that country right now. So definitely something to keep a look on, look at, and uh, and make sure that we're uh, we're, we're monitoring uh, Zelensky's moves. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like a complainer or. Um... Or anything else, but gas prices and inflation. What direction is that going? Well, <laughs> it seems it seems like things are fairly static, Bill. I mean, I I I I, I you know too too high. <laughs> I think we would all agree. Yeah. But um, but, but you know, it's going to take some time. Uh, none, none nothing's going to happen. You know, with the flip of a switch or overnight. I mean, that's that's for sure. And uh, and that's that's why you know th- there are some things where uh, even just uh, the bully pulpit or speaking you know some strong strong words on the part of the president uh, can have a meaningful impact uh, in terms of the markets. Uh, you see that almost on a daily basis sometimes when it comes to certain markets. So I, I think that we need to continue to uh, to raise awareness. This is the number one issue when it comes to you look at public opinion polls. Um, it's certainly impacting people's wallets, and uh, and I think it will continue to do so well into the future. And it may start to affect other other areas as well. One of my colleagues uh, wrote a piece for the Daily Signal about uh, the rise in food prices and why he's concerned about that uh, being the next crisis that we face. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the the um, the female athletes and the transgender uh, swimmer that seemed to have won fantastically up until the last race that she, I, he came in like last place. Yes, Leah Thomas, uh, the the biological male uh, who swims for uh, the Penn uh, swim team, uh, generated a lot of controversy over the weekend. Uh, Some parents and some other swimmers speaking out and saying that the NCAA has done a disservice uh, to the biological females who are competing against uh, this male in the race. And uh, and certainly I think that uh, you wouldn't necessarily, depending on your source of media, you might get a completely different perspective on mm-hmm. this because there were some media outlets completely whitewashed and uh, and celebrated uh, Leah Thomas's uh, wins, and others who I think pointed out rightfully so that it's an unfair advantage uh, to give a biological male, uh, you know, and and as the results themselves I think you know demonstrate, Bill, um, uh, you know, an advantage here in the in the pool. So. It's uh, it's something that I think, unfortunately, it's it's going to require Americans and probably female athletes to speak up more more vigorously and aggressively about because I'm I'm just not sure that the institutions that exist, like the NCAA and the news media, are going to be uh, truthful and fair when it comes to an issue like this. And so it'll take other swimmers who uh, who lost out. Uh, like this Virginia Tech swimmer who who wrote a letter to the NCAA asking them to change their rules um, to really, I think, make a meaningful impact. Mm-hmm. And then there's an interesting article at the Daily Signal, dailysignal.com, about uh, a mom talking about the transgender movement that took her daughter's life, written by Virginia yes. Allen. Yeah. Virginia did a did a, a nice job. Uh, really, a, a moving story. Uh, it is it is tragic um, that young people who are in some cases being influenced uh, in schools and among peer groups, 
uh, to make life-changing decisions at a very young age, whether it be taking puberty blockers or in some cases even having surgery, uh, and then coming to, to realize that that's not the solution that they were ultimately looking for. I think with so many young people, they're struggling um, uh, with questions, uh, as, as we all did when we were growing up, uh, particularly as teenagers, uh, trying to figure out a, a place in the world. And, and frankly, Bill, it's, it's just, to me, it's, it's shocking that even kids younger than that, you know, uh, kids who maybe even haven't entered school yet are, are being confronted with some of these decisions. And so that's why I think measures like what Florida did, uh, putting in place uh, a rule uh, that schools can't talk about uh, these sexual topics uh, between the ages of kindergarten and third grade is, is realistic. It's logical. I think it's what most parents want. Uh, it's appropriate for maybe those conversations to take place in the home. Uh, but not outside of, of parents' purview. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we're showcasing stories like this, that there are real-life consequences, and tragically, there are people who've taken their own lives uh, as a result of the decisions that they've made. Mm-hmm. Rob, what do we know about the Mexican cartels uh, at the border, and how much are they controlling what's going on, and how much are they bringing into the country in terms of drugs? Oh, a tremendous amount. Uh, we have a major fentanyl problem, uh, opioid crisis and epidemic in this country, largely driven by what's going on uh, at the borders. Mark Morgan, uh, who served in the Trump administration and was, was you know, in charge of Customs and Border Protection, uh, speaks very emotionally about what he saw on the border bill because it was tragic uh, to see uh, how much the cartels were able to get across uh, through smuggling. And it's not just the border towns that af- are affected. It is communities across this country where the drugs end up and then have a devastating impact on young people. I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, 100,000 people who, whose lives were lost because of drug overdoses. I mean, it is, an, it is a major uh, national crisis. And frankly, it's one of those things where for all of the attention that we put on COVID uh, day after day, I wish we had put some of that same focus on an issue like this, because I think not only would it have helped us realize why border security is so important and why we needed to, to build the wall and secure the border and keep the smugglers from, from bringing drugs in this country, but it also would have helped us maybe uh, reach those people in communities across the country who are struggling with drug abuse. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, we're not too far away from some big decisions coming out of the Supreme Court. That's just around the corner in June. It sure is. And the biggest of them all is going to be in this case, uh, the Dobbs case, which uh, could bring an end to Roe v. Wade. Uh, Of course, we won't know that one probably until the last day of the court's term. Uh, But it's a it's a big case, Bill, and it's going to have major implications across all 50 states and at the federal level. Uh, And essentially what it would mean is that if they overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, states would be back in control of making decisions about abortion and really put it in the hands of, of state legislatures and citizens where I think it belongs. Yeah, Rob, thank you so much for uh, coming and doing the show today. Always look forward to talking to you. I know my listeners love hearing from you. Thank you, Bill. Talk to you next week. You bet. See you, Rob. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can head to dailysignal.com. You know, if you are uh, want to learn more about what it means to be a Christian and you want to maybe discover how to effectively share your faith with others, uh, thanks to Bethany House Publishers, we have a whole bunch of copies, a lot of copies of A Simple Path to Following Jesus by Rusty George. We're going to give those away throughout the month, and all you have to do to enter to win or get one is to go to myfaithradio.com. Check it out. We'll take a short break and be right back with Beverly Canaris. We're going to talk about lamenting prayer.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Old Testament scholars estimate that about two thirds of the Psalms are laments. Yet the title of most of it is, you were praising. How could a collection which includes so many complaints be considered praise? But lamenting prayer is a very important topic we're going to talk about today with Beverly Canaris. She's a formal, former Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years and a regular guest on the show. Bev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How about yourself today? I'm good. I'm good. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I... I'm, I'm anxious to talk about our topic today of uh, lamenting prayer. I feel it's something that we um, is very useful to know what it is and to know how to use it in our prayer life. It can be a great help, um, a healing agent, really, to our lives. I love that. Yeah. You know, in the Bible, when you turn to different parts, there's so many different types of prayers available. Uh, the Bible models prayers of contrition, in other words, Um, confessing your sin, repenting of sin. There's also a lot of prayers of praise, just like you mentioned, and then lots of thanksgiving. You know, that is such an important aspect of our relationship with the Lord, to be a thankful uh, believer. And then there's prayers for worship. But this last one, prayers of lament, um, really caught my attention, especially in light of the last few years. I just feel like so many people are lamenting, but I'm wondering what they're doing with their lament. You know, lamenting is really meant to be a way to bring our problem, our lamenting to the Lord, there to be part of our prayer life. And so as I was looking into lamenting prayer, I came across some definitions that will really help to kind of clarify what we mean when we say lamenting prayer. So here are a few that I've read, some of the definitions. A lament is the art of trusting God, no matter what he gives, no matter what he takes. And Job is a great example of this. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And we see him not only suffering and lamenting, but we also see him praising God at the beginning and at the closing chapters of the book. Another definition was lament is a rich but untapped reservoir of God's grace. So Lamenting prayer to me is one that helps us to navigate the discrepancy between who you know God to be and then the pain of your circumstances. Lamenting to God really is such a gift meant to heal us and to restore our peace. Um, Psalm 13 is really short. It's a very short psalm, but it's a lamenting psalm. So let me just read this as an example of what we're talking about here today. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How I long, but I must, how long must I wrestle with thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, that's a key word in lamenting, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So there is a real example for us to look at when David states his case. 
he, he states his trouble, and then he goes to a bold ask of the Lord, a truth about who God is, and then he ends on trusting God and praising God. So that's kind of the format, and that Psalm 13 is a great uh, model for us to look at. Another definition uh, I looked up was lament is humbly turning to God through pain. So lamenting, again, is a God-given coping skill. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't know quite what to do with the pain. But this type of prayer is a coping skill. We wrestle with God in order to process the pain. In other words, we're processing all of this, what's going on in our lives through speaking with him. And what a gift that is. So sometimes, though, in our pain, we become blind to what's true. And lamenting prayer is meant to open our eyes to see God once again in our life. Mm. You know, we can be in pain for so many reasons, Bill, loss, grief, uh, physical pain, illness, uh, death of dreams, work problems, money issues, marital conflict. Think of all those difficult relationships, um, abuse, prodigal children, even mental illness like anxiety, depression, watching the news can bring on lamenting. Um, Addictions uh, can bring on lamenting. But those who know God will lament to him in prayer. Maybe I should go over some other biblical examples just to kind of get everybody what we're what the feeling is for this kind of praying. Yeah, that's great, Bill. This just it's so important what you're saying. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's a we need this in our arsenal, you might say, in order to handle the suffering that just comes with life. Um, the, another one from the Bible is Hannah. She's a favorite of mine. Hannah was a woman who was experiencing infertility, and she pours out her heart in a prayer of lament. This is coming from First Samuel, first chapter. It says in that chapter that she's weeping bitterly as she prayed. And she asked this, Lord, Almighty, if you will look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, see how she feels like abandoned here, remember her, don't forget me. Lord Almighty, I know you've got the power. She's pouring out her heart. She says, if you will give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now, Hannah is such a good example for us. She's humbly, she's not, you know, um, in great challenge to God. She's humbly pouring out her pain and asking God for what she needed, what she wanted. Mm. And she doesn't sound angry or blaming, but rather really pours out that hurt and then looks to God. Another very interesting point about Hannah with her lamenting prayer in this account is that Hannah goes away from that prayer at peace. The scriptures say she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So this process of pouring out her heart and looking to God eased the pain, but there was no child yet in her womb. So even though our circumstances might not change, God can use this lamenting prayer to set us free from the the pain and the torture of when we really don't understand what's going on in our life. I I find that fascinating, Bev, that she went away and ate. Usually when you're completely uh, miserable, you you can't eat. And then her face was no longer downcast, so she was already putting on a different uh, look on her disposition. So I thought, what a, those are two two important things to take out of Hannah. Isn't it? Isn't it? And and there's some fruit that comes out of lamenting prayer. 
you can have a peace again. Right. Now, when you look at all the lamenting prayers in scriptures, there's really a pattern that emerges here. First, and I've given three T's to it, trouble. This is the time when you you pour out your questions, your pain, it's expressed to the Lord specifically. And then the next T is truth, going on to the truth about God and his character. In Psalm 13, he went over this. He said, you know, you have unfailing love. He's remembering God. And he's also boldly asking um, for what he needs in truth. He's asking, this is what I need. And then the final one is trust. This is where you praise and you surrender and you even worship at the end of your prayer. So it's trouble, truth, trust. Now, Jeremiah, he's quite the, the lamenter. <laughs> um, one quote from him is this, from the book of Jeremiah. Why is my pain unending, my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me a deceptive brook, like a spring that failed. Woohoo! he's reading so honest here and yeah, raw. That's pretty raw. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Like, he's saying, God, I'm getting nothing here from you. You're a dry brook. Why, why aren't I getting what I need here? He's just honest, but he's not disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I think we really deny how we are feeling. Um, so we pretend like it doesn't exist, or we might get angry with God and then not come to him to expose our anger so that we can heal. Just like any other relationship. If you keep it all in and you don't go to that other person, don't expect much healing to take place. You need to have that time of being completely honest and kind with one another. Um, really typical to, to lament again. He's asking hard questions, isn't he? And the feelings of abandonment. Why is my pain unending? You know, you're like a deceptive brook that fails. Uh, typical to lament these questions. How long, O oh Lord? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? Jeremiah is humbly being honest with God as to how he was feeling in his circumstances. But then if we turn to the book that he also wrote, uh, Lamentations, which is a whole book of lamenting, if you want to cheer yourself up, just dive into that. Um, But yet there are such verses of hope. Some of the best verses for hope in the Bible are found in a book of lamenting. This is written, as I said, by Jeremiah as a lament and a commentary on the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Lamentations 3.19, he wrote, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. So there he is pouring out his heart, what he's gone through, what he's feeling. But then he goes on, he's remembering the truth. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, and that's in other words, you're going to see that again and again in his lamenting prayer. It's either but or yet. Here he says, yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What a gift it is. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. So look how he went from despair really to a a bold statement of faith and a looking to the Lord. Um, He he wasn't afraid to express himself how he was feeling to the Lord. It was a very real relationship. And in that expression, he found his hope. He said, I will hope. His Mm. eyes really turned to the Lord. And Bev, wouldn't you say that one of the most interesting 
locations of lamenting would have been Jonah when he's inside the belly of the great fish? Oh, I know. His, when you turn to the book of Jonah, you read about his lamenting. Yeah. He is, um, first of all, he's, he's saying that God is just in judging him. <laughs> he's confessing. And then he is, he is starting to worship God here. He's poured out his complaint. He's poured out his suffering. And then the, his prayer actually ends in, in uh, praise. So Jonah's a great thing. Even in the midst of the belly of a fish, uh, Jonah, where you find him using lamenting prayer and finding reasons to praise God even there. I think one of the greatest examples, though, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed a lamenting prayer. Jesus told his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow, that's pretty strong words, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that ever. He, and he said to his disciples, stay here and keep watch with me. I love it that Jesus really shared his pain with his closest people, asking for their prayers as well. He doesn't deny his suffering, but neither does he rage against the Father. Then the text goes on and it reads, going on a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. Now picture that. You know, we have pictures of Jesus praying in the garden. He's up on his knees. He's got his hands on a large rock. Ditch that picture and put his face in the ground. Mm -hmm. This is how he's praying. This is how he's pouring out his heart to the Father. It says here, going on a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he prayed that three times. He, he sweat great drops of blood as he prayed. Then on the cross, he was taking on the sin of his people. And again, he had a very short lamenting prayer, which was quoting Psalm 22, which was a prophetic psalm about Christ. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There it is again, the question. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? Sometimes we're in the midst of our pain. We, we lose sight of what we know to be true. Jesus knew the resurrection was ahead. He knew it. But he was still suffering from the pain of the cross. See, lamenting prayer is not faithless prayer. Lamenting prayer is really a process to help solidify our faith, to regain our spiritual balance when we've been knocked down by it. Mm. Lamenting prayer really helps us to see our suffering in light of God. Yeah, Beth, I love that. I do too. Let's learn how to do that. Let's how to learn how to do this lamenting prayer we're talking about, but let's do it after the break. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about lamenting prayer. We'll take a short break and be right back. with Beverly Canaris. She is a former Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years and co-host of the podcast She Is Becoming. We're talking about lamenting prayer today, and this is quite a gift from God, um, Bev, and let's let's talk more about it. I know you've got some uh, three T's that we should all try to remember. Right. You know, as I was 
looking at this, I thought I need um, some key words to help me remember mm -hmm. how to do this when I really am hurting. Um, so I, I, we got these three T's, and the first one is trouble. This is the time where we state our questions, we express our pain to God, really being humble and yet very honest. And that's what we see modeled in the scriptures. This is the point where you want to know, you, you know what's true about God, but yet you look at your circumstances and there is a huge disconnect for you. And so you're asking these questions, where are you? How come? Why? And that's, you can address and pray all that to the Lord, pour out your heart to him. First Peter 5, 7 really is God's invitation to us that it says, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. However, we cast that care and we, we ask our questions, we pour out our pain on him, but then we don't stay there. Now it's time to move on to the second T word, which is truth. Remember what is true about God. Remember who you are to God as well. Remember what he's done in the past. Um, you move from why, you got all those hard questions for the Lord, to who. When we bring our focus back on what is true, despite our feelings or circumstances, there is a sense of relief in our life. At this point in the truth section, we can also ask boldly of the Lord because our faith now is starting to emerge and go back to that as we start to think about what he has done, who he is. Then we can move on to that final step in our lamenting prayer, and that is trust. And trust is often revealed by the words, but, and yet, as you read the Psalms, you see this pattern again and again and again, the trouble. And then by the time you get to the end of the Psalm, you see the last few verses, but, and yet. And it's really a declaration of faith. It's a beautiful example of worshiping and praising the Lord because they've, the, the, the lamenting person has gone from lamenting and focused on all the questions and the whys has now refocused upon who God is. So we state our pain. We remember God as having unfailing love. And then we can give a big ask in there as well. Uh, in Psalm 13, he asks, you know, for him to pay attention and to help him with his enemies. But at the end of Psalm 13, remember what he said, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And, you know, sometimes we have to, out of a direct act of our will, state these truths about God, even though we may not feel them because of the pain. But the reality and the truth of who he is is still there. And that helps us connect with what's really true. Um, you know, there's that old illustration of steps in the sand, you know, where mm -hmm. the man is saying, God, where were you when I was going through all this? Like Jeremiah, wh where, what? You're, you're a dried up brook. Um, and then you see the steps in the sand and he goes, you know, you see Jesus carrying that person who had that question. So this is kind of what uh, lamenting prayer is, uh, God carrying us, giving us a vehicle to be carried through those really dark days. And we all have dark days often, actually. So there's the three, three T words, trouble, truth, trust. Mm. These three steps in lamenting prayer are a gift from the Lord, really to help us cope with life's pain. So often we feel so helpless, but God has given us the privilege of bringing our pain to him and focusing then on who God is 
and actively trusting God, even when the situation is the same. Remember Hannah went away, her face was relieved. And I have had countless times where I've gone to the Lord with such anxiety and angst over some situation. And after prayer, I, I walk away with that burden lifted, um, praising God and thanking him and knowing that he's got this. And that really is a lamenting prayer. Uh, we, we understand that we are loved, that God is good, and that has a, he has a, this master plan for our good and his glory. We got to go back to those truths all the time because our circumstances are going to throw us for a loop that those things aren't true about God anymore. But we have to go back to that we are loved, that God is good, that he has the master plan for our good and for his glory. So what are some of the things, other things that lamenting prayer does? Well, lamenting prayer really deepens our prayer life and our relationship with the Lord. This is, you know, when you have an open, honest relationship with someone, someone you know you can come to and really pour out your heart to, that really is a beautiful relationship. Not many of us have that even in our lives here. Um, That is a beautiful thing that we can have with the Lord. It needs to be honest and open and yet humble. Um, There's a fine line to walk here with being open and honest and pouring out how you really feel and being disrespectful. So I would say the humility piece in there is an important part of uh, this kind of lamenting prayer as well. Also, lamenting prayer is a place of healing. It helps us move through the pain, not get stuck there. Lamenting prayer also helps us to restore our joy and our hope. Even Jeremiah said his hope was renewed after he came to the Lord and started to remember the goodness of the Lord. So if you're without hope, if you just feel like you're, you, you have just had every bit of joy zapped out of your life, try the lamenting prayer, coming to God, pouring out your heart, asking boldly, remembering who he is, and then finish with praise and worship. That will help you so much to restore that hope and that joy. Also, lamenting prayer changes us from suffering to experiencing God's shalom peace. Uh, That shalom peace in the Bible means not only just peace of circumstances, it means peace despite circumstances, peace and rest and well-being. Even when we're in the midst of that situation, we can have God's shalom peace. Uh, Lamenting prayer also leads us to heartfelt worship that honors God. What a beautiful thing to know that we're going to pour out our heart, but also that we are going to exalt Christ. And there's something that happens in worship that really gives us uh, strength and joy, and our souls are meant to be worshiping. And so the end of a a lamenting prayer Mm -hmm. ends on this really high note of uh, honoring God. So remember this, state your trouble to God. Remember the truth about God and then trust. And I really think that trust is a surrender. Um, You kind of have to lay it all down, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. And then when he rose from that prayer, he, he was strengthened to face the most horrible of life circumstances. You know, when we're knocked down, lamenting prayer helps us to get back up. So, you know, audience, what are what's knocked you down today, listeners? Um, 
This kind of lamenting prayer can help you get back up. What a beautiful thing. We don't have to stay down. We have the Lord and we have this gift of lamenting prayer. So, you know, do you need this in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an important topic. I, I have loved this discussion on lamenting prayer. I know this is going to resonate with everybody because we're all doing it at some point. And I think you've laid out some really lovely guidelines for us to experience lamenting prayer in, in a very positive way. God well, God, des- I, God designed it to it, heal us. I think us. it's an important part. He yeah. does use it to heal. And you can journal your own lamenting prayers. You can go to the Psalms, read, God, read God's Word, and listen for Him to respond to your pain. Keep talking to God. Yeah. Not denial or silent treatment. And then, you know, walk through times like this with other Christians as well. They can remind you of the goodness of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Really great, uh, great time together. Bev, thank you so much for being on the show. Always great to have you on. Love being here, Bill. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Yep. Beverly, Beverly Canaris has been my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, ask the professor, which means get your questions ready, send them over. You can text them to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. In the hot seat will be Dr. Mark Muska. He is the professor here at the University of Northwestern. He's been teaching for 37 years, but who's keeping track? When we come back, he will answer your questions. Send them over, 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.